Welcome in to a Tuesday episode of the Back and Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Stat Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rafter, joined along as always by my co-host, Joey G. Fresh off of a weekend filled with UNLV basketball, UNLV football. The Raiders make the show yet again, um, probably for the same reasons that they've made the show for the past handful of weeks. We'll dive into that. And of course... What's going on with the Warriors? The defending champion Warriors off to a little bit of a slower start than expected, but we will touch on them a little bit later on in the show. Friendly reminder, make sure you follow the show on Twitter at BackForthPod. Instagram is at BackForthPodcast. And while you're there, make sure you give the official home for Back and Forth, the Talk That Talk Media Company, a follow. Their Twitter is at TTT Media Company. The rest of their socials are spelled out at Talk That Talk Media Company. Let's get right into it with... UNLV will start with basketball, transition over to football. Basketball had a pretty successful week. Um, overall, I I mean, they, they did what they were supposed to do. They went 2-0 last week. They beat Southern 66-56 and then followed that up with a 88-53 win over Incarnate Word. So, 88-63. That's right. Um 88-63 win over Incarnate Word. Um, I mean, as to be expected, I guess. Like, I think that there would have been a bigger headline if they lost one of those games. Yeah, I think the 63 points is a little deceiving. I think they played much better defense than what they gave up. Um, they were all over the place. Uh, it seemed like on Saturday uh, they forced a lot of turnovers. Keyshawn Gilbert... Um, I still think they're asking a bit much of him to take that leap, but, I mean, he's showing that he's capable of doing it, having a 25-point game. And offensively, uh, granted the opponent was Incarnate Word, uh, they looked a lot better on the offensive end of the ball. Um, so overall, a more complete game from them. And and Southern, looking at Southern as well, Southern may not be as, as terrible or as a, as a, I don't know if terrible is the right word, but as a uh, easy, I guess, as an opponent as we thought they would have been. Um they went over and played uh, Arizona down in Tucson on um, um, frick Friday, yeah, uh, and they beat the or they excuse me they lost to the 17th ranked Wildcats 95-78. So Arizona only beat them by seven more points than UNLV did. Um, so perhaps Southern is a uh, a lot better than advertised. Um, and and again that Southern team was 17 and 14 last year and did bring back a majority of their. Uh, roster for this season so overall they're not a, a terrible basketball team uh, UNLV getting a much easier opponent with Incarnate Word uh, and they handle business winning by 25 points and again I think the score is a little bit deceiving there it, it was a lot uglier for Incarnate Word at least than it, the score read um, which was 88-63 you look at tonight um, which lines up with when this episode comes out um, they've got the Dayton Flyers 21st in the country Dayton is fresh off a 12-point or 13-point victory against SMU, I believe. Um, this is a NCAA tournament team. This is a team that's likely going to win their conference, um, and this is uh, a team that will be hanging around the top 25 for probably the majority of the season. And this is, uh, as of now, UNLV's f- first out of two top 25 opponents they'll face, San Diego State, later this year. Um, so this is the real test for the Rebels tonight. This is very similar to... Uh, last season, they started off 3-0, played Michigan, um, and they give them credit. They they hung around and played Michigan pretty well. Um, so we'll see how they uh, they, they play 
Dayton tonight. Um, ESPN projects them winning by like 0.2%. Mm-hmm. 50.8 is what they have Dayton winning. That's, that's interesting. Um, and they're only listed as a four and a half point favorite. So everybody expects this to be a fairly close game. That's interesting. Uh, I, I, I would imagine UNLV makes it tough defensively, like they've, they're going to do all season. I don't know how it's going to look on the offensive end of the ball, though. I, I'm going to go at this moment, I'm going to go like 61-52 Dayton. I think that's what we end up as, which I, I still see as a, a pretty decent performance from UNLV. Um, again, this is their team is going to run through defense this year. And, um, I mean, you got to score a little bit to win games now, and especially in today's era. But um, I don't think a 61 – if you could keep it within 10, I don't think it's a complete loss. Uh, if you can hang around a little bit and start building some momentum and, you know, maybe win that SoCal challenge. There's a few decent schools in there. You have Minnesota in there. If you could rack up a win against Minnesota and you could – beat uh washington state in the um over at the mgm grand garden arena uh then you can get a couple of nice wins there on your resume maybe beat san francisco here which is another home game at the thomas and max san francisco was an ncaa tournament team last season um so maybe hang around with dane a little bit which is i think they'll i think is what they'll do i'm gonna go 61 52 uh the dayton flyers and that is a prediction i hope i'm wrong on yeah so i mean looking at incarnate word the only real area I would want to see improved going into tonight is the free throw shooting for UNLV. They did not shoot particularly well from the free throw line against Incarnate Word. Um, they got to the line fairly often compared to Incarnate Word. I mean, UNLV shot 29 free throws to Incarnate Word's three. So only sent Incarnate Word to the free throw line for three shots. Um, but of those 29 shots from UNLV, they only made 19 of them. That's less than 70% as a team from the free, uh, from the free throw line against a team like Dayton. You got to take advantage of the free throw line. If you, I mean, we've seen through the first two games, UNLV has had a very, especially on offense. They've had a very aggressive mindset as far as attacking the basket and drawing fouls. They need to have that same mindset tonight, but they need to capitalize when they do get to the free throw line, because if you're leaving, 10 to 12 points on, on the free throw line and not, you know, making those shots and, and capitalizing, you know, Dayton's going to make you pay for it. They're good enough. They're talented enough. They're obviously talented enough to be ranked in the top 25 um, that you have to do the little things right. And that's the biggest thing UNLV, I think, has to focus on tonight is just do the little things right. If you do the little things right, you're going to be in this basketball game. Now, if you can make some great plays along the way, you're going to give yourself a chance to win, I think. And I think for UNLV's sake, this is a game they need to have. If you if they have NCAA tournament aspirations, this is one of these signature wins that you have to put on the resume for when, you know, because if you, we've, we talked about their non-conference slate, it's not the strongest. So when you have a quality opponent come in on a non-conference game, you really have to take advantage of it if you if you're able to. And... I mean, if you get a win against Dayton, and let's say you run, you know, you go eleven and one in the non-conference slate, and ten and eight in your conference slate, well, that's a twenty-one and not about a twenty-one and nine record. That's a bubble team for the NCAA tournament. Depending on what they do in the conference tournament, they could find themselves on the bubble. And the teams that usually get in are the ones that have the signature wins, um, where that you you know you look at it. Let's say they can split with San Diego State. That's another top, you know, possibly top 25 win that they could have on their resume. 
they, they beat Dayton tonight. That's a, you know, second top 25 win. So that, I mean, they're starting to become notable wins. And one thing we knew about Kevin Kruger even last season, and he demonstrated it quite a bit, was he was beating decent opponents on a regular basis. I think he had four or five wins against the Kempom top 70. Um, it was either top 75 or top 70. Top 75, he had three. He had three. He beat, beat Colorado State twice, and he got Wyoming at home. There might have been there might have been four. Actually, yeah, he might have gotten another one. Is Mountain West did he beat Boise? No, he didn't beat Boise. Um No, yeah, it might have only been three. But I mean No, Utah State. Utah State, beat, that's right. Yeah, Utah State was somehow in there. So it's four. That must have been a mistake. Um but four signature wins against the top seventy five, another aspect you know, another area that the committee's gonna look at if UNLB finds himself on the bubble. But in order to get there, you have to make a statement tonight. You cannot come into this game if you're UNLV and have it look like it did last year against SMU or have it look like it did last year against San Francisco where you just get flat out ran out the gym. Um, the defense has been really, as Joey said, the defense has been really strong. Um, they've had back-to-back games where they've forced their opponent into over 20 turnovers. Um, I don't foresee they're going to do quite that level of defense to Dayton because obviously... Dayton being a much better opponent than Incarnate Ward or Southern. But if you can still force Dayton into about 10 to 15 turnovers, you may have a chance in this game. But it also comes to the fact that when they force those turnovers, they have to capitalize on them. They have to be scoring on those turnovers because that was the biggest thing that we looked at with Southern, the Southern game. And we went, well, they won by 10, but a lot of that is because they only, they did force 28 turnovers, but they only converted that to 20 points. So I mean, there was a lot, I mean, a lot of it could have been said that UNLV left a lot of points on the table uh, against Southern. And even to a degree, they kind of left a little bit of those same points on the table against Incarnate Word. It does help that you get to 88 points, gives the team a little bit of confidence that, you know, the offense can get going. Um, But I think I, I said it maybe after the Southern game, I started to say it a little bit more after the Incarnate Word game. I think there's something going on with Jordan McCabe as far as he's probably been the biggest surprise to me because this was a routine starter last year. And now he's not even the sixth man off the bench. He's probably the seventh to eighth guy off the bench. And when he gets in, he's not really producing all that much. This is a guy that, I mean, I believe a senior leader on the team. I would have, along with Keyshawn Gilbert, I would have thought Jordan McCabe may have taken the second biggest step coming into this year. And through two games where, you know, these are games where you're able to go out and you're able to kind of, you know, showcase a little bit and get, you know, if anything, quote unquote, pad the stats a bit. Jordan McCabe has done anything but that. And he's been vastly underwhelming, A, for how much hype he gets, and B, knowing that he was a routine starter last year and now he's barely the eighth guy off the bench for UNLV. Yeah. um, For one... Matt made a terrible mistake. There's 31 games this year, Matt. <laughs> no. uh, around that area. Um, it would be 22, 22 and 9 would be a, a bubble yeah. area. Uh, but jokes aside, um, I mean, one, one thing uh, with tonight is if you want to get people back, you got to win. They have to have this game. And that's, that's, that's just the way Vegas is now, which is kind of shitty. It's not, um, you know, UNLV isn't the only sports entertainment in town anymore. There's There's several other options and that's kind of been the biggest thing with UNLV is that when no one's they're like they're like 
They're like Kirk Cousins. That's the best way to put it. Right. When no one is there for football and basketball, they play the game of their lives. And you're like, holy shit, this team is, we might be legit this year, which they are capable of being legit in both football and basketball. Yeah. They have the talent. People show up, people start buying in, and it's like, what the fuck happened to you guys? I mean, it's well, it trouble. happened with football. You start four and one, everyone starts buying into you. Your next home game, you draw the largest crowd of the season. Air Force skunks you forty-two-seven. Then you get Fresno State again at home. They play much better, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But they still lose basketball. It seems like for basketball, ever since uh, the Dave Rice situation, every game, literally every game they've gotten thirteen K plus, they have lost. That is. And I don't think they'll get 13K tonight. I think but, it's five. Um, Maybe. Every game they have gotten 13,000 plus since then, which has been about seven or eight, I want to say, they have lost. You cannot lose a home game where you are at a near sellout. That is That defeats the whole purpose of home court. You cannot lose games where you're packing stands. And tonight, I, I would say they get more than five. They are, um, they are going up against the Knights that are down the road at T-Mobile. I still think they get more than five, or they at least they get and it's above. An I say they get like around six tonight. The late start, too, which doesn't help you in OV. Um, with that, I think you have to win to get them to come back. and they, that, That's what basketball was doing a little bit last year. I mean, it was a little tougher to get people in the stands because of the whole um, – the vaccine requirement thing, so that the, the the attendance was at its lowest I think it's probably ever been at Thomas and Mac last year. Um, but even with that, they each game they had gotten, um, at least in conference play, they were getting more fans in the stands. It was from five thousand, they were getting to six thousand, they were getting to seven thousand. I think that Boise State game um, drew eight k. So they were winning games and people were taking notice and they were starting to draw more and more fans. Uh, each game as that went on. So that's kind of they can start doing that now instead of in conference play. You're at game three in the season. If you beat a nationally ranked team, people will take notice and people will come back. And that kind of has to be the message for Kevin Kruger because, you know, you can give out free tickets. You can, you know, hand out, you know, uh, lower bowl or upper bowl seats. You can have free beer or whatever. You can do any kind of promotion you want, but ultimately – it's going to come down to winning, um, and people are going to make the decision on whether they want to waste their – now, I won't say waste, but whether if they want to make the drive to UNLV on a 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night and decide to spend it there to watch UNLV play basketball instead of going home and getting some sleep for work. They will make the sacrifice to watch UNLV play if they feel UNLV is worth their money. And it's the same thing with the Golden Knights. People are going to go. If the Golden Knights had a 10 p.m. start time on a Wednesday, it would still fucking sell out. Yep. Because people are like, it's worth it. So UNLV now has to do that pretty much. Um, UNLV has to make and it. It starts with the team. It really doesn't start with anyone else because it comes down to wins and losses. And the Knights have been winners four out of their five years in Vegas. And they're right now, the I believe they have the best record in the NHL or the second best record. Mm-hmm. Um so, and it's the same thing. The, the Raiders are a little bit different because um, that's the NFL, and the NFL is just so dominant in America. But the Aviators are another example. People come out to go watch the Aviators um, uh, because they are, one, it's a new ballpark, and it's a fun experience, and they win. And UNLV, I would say it's a fun experience. They have a, a great pregame show. They have um, awesome deals going around all season with free shirts and 
free Kane. So I think they're doing it right for the most part, but it comes down to wins and losses. And people, people, you got to sell people on the idea that, hey, it's worth for me to come down because you've beaten X and Y and you have, and your record is, you know, X and Y. So you have to be a winning team, essentially. Yeah, I mean, my biggest complaint is the fact that this game is a Tuesday at 8 o'clock. I mean, this is, like we said, we've said it probably over the past handful of seasons, it seems like every time UNLV has a really big game on their schedule, they throw it in the middle of the week, and it's always the late, the last spot of the night, which doesn't, like I said, it doesn't help that they're trying to draw people to the MAC. I mean, I get that there's only certain things, so much you can do with schedules, but when, you know... I mean, we've seen games flexed before. You know, if anything, make this game earlier than 8 o'clock. I get if you can't move it to a, a certain day, but why are we playing this game at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday when, like we said, we're trying, you know, UNLV is trying their best to get as many people to the MAC as they possibly can. Ideally, this would have been a Saturday afternoon game. It would have been a perfect spot for it. You know, first-ranked opponent coming into the MAC for the season. You know, you can get a lot of eyeballs into the MAC. And like I said, I mean, a lot of times UNLV doesn't draw that great of a crowd, not necessarily through their own fault, but because they're going up against somebody else in town that's playing that night. Tonight being a perfect example, they're going up against the Golden Knights who have won nine of their last 10 games. And I would imagine there's going to be about 18,000 people at T-Mobile Arena tonight because that's just typically what it is. And so, I mean, if UNLV can, like Joey said, if they can draw, you know, around 6,000 people, it's not a great crowd for a ranked opponent, but if they win this game, they have a pretty relaxed slate that they go on until they reach, I think, maybe Washington State or San Francisco. Uh, or no, even they even said San Francisco because um, I was looking at, some, you know, some, the games that, you know, ESPN's projecting them to win. They have UNLV, I believe, as like a 75% chance to beat San Francisco. So my guess is San Francisco went way down from last year. Um, you know, close loss to San Diego, I think, is what they have projected. Not San Diego State, but uh, University of San Diego. Um, but UNLV, if they win tonight, have a chance to go 6 or 7-0. and oh. And if you do that and you're UNLV, people are going to start showing up. They don't care where the game's going to be at. They don't care if UNLV is going to be playing at MGM. They don't care if people are, if UNLV is going to be playing at the Dollar Loan Center. The people will still make the drive. Like that's at the end of the day, if the, if you're putting out a product that's worth coming to watch, people will, you know, they may gripe and moan, but they'll make the twenty to twenty five minute drive to Henderson to watch this UNLV team play Washington State at the Dollar Loan Center, or they'll make the twenty minute drive to the MGM Grand to watch UNLV play whoever it may be, um, or, you know, traditionally they'll make the 15 to 20 minute drive to Thomas Mack center to watch UNLV play whoever it is. And so the biggest thing UNLV can do right now is win. And if they do that, the people will show up because especially the locals, because they'll, it may actually be for them a sign that maybe running rebel basketball is back because all they remember is really the nineties. They, they hang on to the nineties for, it feels like ever, like, I don't think they're ever going to let go of the 90s. But if you can start winning consistently. Why are we scheduling incarnate word? We won the championship in 19. Right, exactly. Um, let it go, Grandpa. But, yeah, this, like I said, if you get over tonight's hurdle and you win, there's a chance for UNLV to go real seven or eight, seven or eight in a row off to start the year. No doubt. But um, real quick, 
uh, we'll briefly touch on football. Um, they played a lot better than we th- uh, than I thought. Um, Fresno State is a very good football team. This is a team that was projected to win the Mount West. They're finally healthy. UNLV honestly could have won that game. Uh, they just fell a little bit short. 37-30. Uh, they got to win the last two. No other way to put it. They got to beat Hawaii. Uh, if we lose to Hawaii, dear God. Uh, and then they got to beat uh, Reno, which uh, I believe Matt sent it the other day. Between those teams, a combined record of 4-17. and 17, yep. UNR has also lost eight in a row. So, no excuses here. Um, you got to go out and uh, get wins here um, against these two teams. And I would have really liked for us to beat either San Diego State and Fresno State, which is games they honestly both could have won um, to at least have a pretty decent win on our resume. Um, came up a little short in those. Uh, you got to go 2-0 and to finish out the year, which is very, 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 very realistic to do. So... Um, we should not have too much trouble here, and hopefully we can get to 6-6. Six and six. And the Rebels are would be in their first bowl game since 2013. Um, yeah. only only My only real complaint with, uh, with uh, Friday's game was the play call when we went for it down 34-27 on fourth down. Mm-hmm. Um, they ran a play action, and then they ran it. <laughs> it was a loss of two yards. And then down 37-27, we were, like, inside the 15-yard line, and we run the ball with 30 seconds left. So, other than that, it was a – I mean, they they played their asses off. But those two calls, which coincidentally happened to be at the end of the game, um, were, 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 were terrible. But other than that, I think it was a pretty well-coached and uh, a great performance from the team. So, they just got to learn how to close out games, which over time they will – I think they'll do. Yeah, I'm trying to. I, I agree. I think um, going going for it there was an interesting play call, and then the fact that um, we we saw them run the ball when they're down ten. Um, to me, that that was probably the biggest slap in the face, just because it showed that. I mean, I hate to say that a guy stopped coaching a game, but when Marcus Arroyo ran the ball down ten with under three minutes to play in the game that told me he gave up and he stopped coaching. And that's a big problem that I have that I, I get that you're probably not winning this game. That's pretty evident. Like a lot of people can see that, but you have to at least keep calling plays. Like you feel like you have a chance to win. When you start running the ball, you're, t- you're essentially telling the other side, yep, we're, we're giving up on this one. Y'all can have it. Um, and I'm trying to find, there was a certain point in his press conference that stood out to me um, with the re, with an answer that he had gave. I'm trying to see if I can find the quote for it. Um, but it had something to do with, uh, somebody had asked, you know, that, you know, this team had lost the last five in a row. Um, you know, how does this team, you know, move forward? Does, um, you know, something along those lines. And he said, yeah, you know, we have lost five in a row, but, um you know, also make sure that, you know, it's mentioned that we started four and one, you know, we, we understand the narrative that, yeah, yeah, we've lost the last five and people are going to want to put that in pencil and start, you know, press and play on it, I think was his exact words. But when I heard that, I, I said, you're right, Marcus, this team did start four and one. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't mean a damn thing if you don't make a bowl game. Because four and one really doesn't mean anything. And in fact, it's probably going to look worse if you miss a bowl game 
And it's going to look probably the worst of any scenario if you miss a bowl game and Reno's the one that cost you the bowl game. If you can't beat Reno, like, like let's say you beat Hawaii. You come into the Reno game five and six. You know if you win the game, you get the Fremont Cannon back, and more importantly, you get bowl eligibility. If Reno beats you in Allegiant Stadium, the fans are going to let you hear about it because that'll be another year where you miss bowl eligibility and another year you lose to Reno. That's a double whammy in the same day. And so, yeah, this team did start 4-1, and one, Marcus. They finished the year 1-6, and six, if that's the case. I don't know how much else you want me to slice it. Like, it doesn't look good either way. And for a guy that keeps preaching, oh, we got to finish, we got to finish, well, a 1-6 and six finish to the year is not great. I can tell you that much. So, like Joey said, there's no other way around it. You have to win these last two games if you're UNLV football, which they're very capable of. Like, if they replicate what they did on Friday against Hawaii on the road and Reno, they will win because Reno and Hawaii are both terrible football teams. They literally have nothing left to play for. Neither one's going to be bowl eligible. I mean, you have to take care of business at the end of the day. Well, to Marcus Arroyo, I think he still deserves a fair amount of credit. Um, I don't think a lot of us, you know, we may have predicted it, but the reality of it at least, that UNLV would be still in a chance to get bowl eligibility. Um, And... Uh, they're great roster he's recruited. I think, I think, at least for me, I'm not at, at four and one. I was giving Marcos Royo a ton of credit. And I don't want to completely flip flop on that and and give him a bunch of shit. Um, you know, there there have there have been things that have gone wrong these past five weeks. I think have been beyond his control, like injuries, uh, like Doug Brumfield getting hurt, Kyle Williams getting hurt, Aiden Robbins getting hurt, Adam Plant getting hurt, um, Jeff Weimer getting hurt. Those are all five key starters. Um, which were all out at one, all out together uh, for a period of time. Um, so there, there has been a lot that is, I think, that has happened uh, beyond his control. Um, you know, there have been some questionable play call decisions for sure, especially with Fresno State and maybe in that San Diego State game. Um, but not, nothing less, these are games I think UNLV has hung around in. And these are games where UNLV would have gotten completely skunked or thrown the talon before. Um, so there's still a, I'd say about a 98% chance that they, they go to a bowl game. They got to beat Hawaii and UNR, um, which I think they're very capable of doing. Um, and nothing less. I think it's been a, a, a pretty good year for UNLV football, uh, given the circumstances. And I am, I would still want 100%, 100% endorse Arroyo getting an extension at the end of the season. Oh yeah. Especially if he makes a bowl game, it's almost a no brainer that you give him an extension because, I mean, the guy made a bowl game for the first time in, I'm not going to say school history, but the first time since 2013 that you make a bowl game. Yeah. So, not bad. It'll feel like the first time in school history. Yeah, for you know, for maybe some Rebel fans it may be. Yeah. Um, but moving on to a team that also plays in Allegiant, but is not as hopeful as UNLV football. The Las Vegas Raiders, Joey, fall to 2-7 and seven after Sunday's 25-20 to 20 loss to the Jeff Saturday-led Indianapolis Colts. I did not think they'd lose the fucking Jeff Saturday, but... Josh McDaniels Josh found McDaniels a way. and Derek Carr found a way. Jeez. Raiders lose. Um, Derek Carr cries in his press conference. The cycle will repeat itself. You gave him a little bit of crap, by the way, didn't you? Yeah, he does it all the time. 
it's like you didn't win the fucking game, dude. Like I, I, I think I, I think most Raider fans are finally over it too. But it's it's the same cycle. He goes up there, he gives his emotional speech, and nothing changes. I understand he's not like one hundred percent responsible, but like, like his he has not improved. He has not improved as a quarterback. He got Devontae. He got the best receiver in football, and he has not improved. If anything, he has regressed as a quarterback. Absolutely. Some blame goes on Derek Carr. A lot of blame goes on Josh McDaniel. A lot of blame goes on the defensive coordinator. But um, for these fanboys that keep protecting Derek Carr, like, oh, it's Josh McDaniels. Like, no, you you blame Gruden. You blamed um, Passaccia. You blame um, McDan- like McDaniels. Uh, you blame Del Rio. Like, at, at what point do we be like, uh, maybe some blame goes on Derek Carr? Which majority of Raider fans are holding him accountable, and I do think this is the last year with the Raiders, and thank fucking God. Um, it's C.J. Stroud time or whoever we decide to draft. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a little exhausting, uh, and I'm kind of sick of like him going up there and crying after every loss. Like, I'm not trying to sound like an asshole, even though I do, but it's, it's like, okay, this is about the 50th time you've done this, right. and nothing's changed your season's over um i think you and i I think they know that with putting hunter renfro and 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 darren waller on ir uh so i think they're facing reality of it josh mcdaniels is coming back next season um i don't know how they've came to that conclusion but he's coming back next year uh mark davis said quote he was doing a fantastic job if if his job was to tank this season yes he's doing a fantastic job and that may have been his job. That may have been their grand plan all along. They may have seen the first two games and they were like, fuck, we need a quarterback. <laughs> and they went out and they're going to go out and get one now. Um, so maybe they're tanking. I don't know. But uh, looking forward to next year already. And like I said before, it'll be interesting to see where Devontae Adams ends up if we end up drafting a quarterback. Does he want to stay? Does he want to follow his boyfriend, Derek Carr, wherever he goes? I don't know. So... One shocker. One thing that was a little surprising is I didn't see them at Allegiant for Friday's game. Um, they're both uh, former Fresno State Bulldogs. I thought they would definitely be there regardless of uh, how the Raiders were playing to support their former school. You know, Derek Carr made it very clear, very clear when they moved to Vegas that he could not. You can find the video that he will not support UNLV. He just can't do it because of his allegiance to Fresno State. But yet... There's nowhere to be seen at Allegiant Stadium on Friday night. So, I don't know. anyway, um, I'm looking forward to that era being over. Uh, tough loss for sure. That's a one they they just they can't. They're very like they're very similar to UNLV. It seems like they just can't close out football games. Yeah. Um, I think the difference is that UNLV has won a couple close games, like New Mexico and uh, um, or at least have won one with the New Mexico game. I don't think the Raiders every game decided within like. A touchdown they have lost yeah they've got i believe six losses now decided by one possession or less so i mean you look at this they're two and seven with wins over the broncos and texans they got to go play the broncos again this coming sunday in denver i think denver could win that game i don't feel great about it just given where this team is sitting at right now at the raiders this locker room looks like it is like a hot mess multiplied by about a hundred um, back-to-back road games for them. They go to Seattle after that. You got to play the chargers, which is no easy feat. 
you go to SoFi for the Rams. You know, Bill Belichick comes into Allegiant the week before Christmas. You go to Pittsburgh uh, on Christmas Eve. And then you have two home games to finish out the year, but they're against the Niners and the Chiefs. So, I mean, I think I said it maybe a couple weeks ago that I don't see more than five wins for this team. I, yeah, don't see more than five wins for the Raiders this year. It's probably even four at this point. And the biggest thing I have, the biggest problem I have, yes, Derek Carr sucks. Derek Carr has not played great. I wouldn't be mad at all if the Raiders at the end of the year decided to move on from Derek Carr. Would not hurt my feelings in the slightest. It's probably warranted. I mean, the biggest problem I have more so lies with Mark Davis. And it's not the fact that he hasn't fired Josh McDaniels. I get that if that's, you know, it's it's Mark Davis's decision if he wants to ride with Josh McDaniels for the year. But don't come out in the media and tell us he's doing a good job because he's not. Like, don't, don't try and sell us a line of bullshit that he's doing a great job because two and seven, quite frankly, for a team that's got the highest paid receiver on it is not doing a good job. Plain and simple. If you want to support Josh McDaniels, if you're Mark Davis, all you have to come out and say is, Josh is my guy. We're going to you stay with him moving forward. And you can leave it at that. But don't rub it into Raider Nation saying, oh, well, he's doing a fantastic job because he's not. Like two and seven is vastly underachieving for this team that had. He didn't say what he was doing a good job in, Matt. He could be referring to tanking. Be specific then because people he are going to be referring to tanking. He did not say what specifically he was doing a good job. Or in. then come out and tell Raider Nation, we're going to suck and we're going to tank for a quarterback. And then at least people understand that, okay, well, we can't expect much because we know what they're playing for. So yeah, well, if he said that, they would get a little on his door and then he could get a nice little fine letter from yeah, well, Roger Goodell. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Uh, but at this point, I don't think you're wrong. I think at this point, I think I even said it after the loss Sunday. May as well just start tanking now. Like, you're 2-7. and seven. The Colts, I think, had a plan to tank, and they walked themselves into a win, which helps the Raiders if that's the case. Uh, because, honestly, like, and I saw other people that were talking more so about the Jeff Saturday hire. Look, I think the Colts, when they brought Jeff Saturday in, they understood fully he did not meet the requirements that a typical NFL head coach would meet. I think they were perfectly okay with that because they knew if this goes sideways, we are perfectly content with just finishing out the rest of the year, getting a really good draft pick, and starting over in the offseason. I think the Colts had that mindset. Now, did you, I mean, it, I think they kind of surprised themselves when they beat the Raiders 25-20. To be honest, I don't think the Colts even felt like, at least internally, that they were going to beat the Raiders when they hired Jeff Saturday. I don't think they had many expectations of doing that. They kind of just walked themselves into that on accident. And, well, if you're Josh McDaniels, I don't know. Maybe if um, in order to tank, you need to play a new head coach every week and make sure he sat on the couch the week before because that's exactly what Jeff Saturday did. He was on the couch the previous week. On Monday, he gets a phone call, hey, we need you to be the head coach. So, I don't know. Maybe the Broncos can do that with – I mean, that's the next Raider opponent, so – Broncos, if you're listening, go find somebody that's sitting on their couch, has very little experience, bring them in, and you will probably beat the Raiders. And anyone would be better than Nathaniel Hackett. That 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 is gonna be like the the two two coaches fighting for their job. Be on, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like that's <laughs> you thought sad. Saturday versus McDaniels was bad. I mean, we'll get ready for the sequel. Hackett versus McDaniels. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, two and seven, 
I see this maybe five wins. Like that's their ceiling for me right now is mm. maybe five. Mm. I think it's probably four. Like they'll yeah. they'll find two other. They're wins they're somewhere. they're clearly tanking. They're they're clearly tanking. So I'm gonna go three or four wins probably, which is gets them into the top five most likely of the draft. And uh, and like we said, if they move on from Derek Carr, at that point, depending on Devonte Adams' feelings toward, towards the franchise. You could very well use him as trade bait and get a lot back in return. Well, just show him Derek Carr highlights and then show him CJ Stroud highlights and then maybe he'll understand. He'll be like, wait, this guy can throw the football? And he'll be like, oh, well, maybe maybe I'll stay. No, I mean, this is the same Devontae Adams that uh, earlier in the season called the, uh, Derek Carr a Hall of Famer. I was like, oh, that's a little much. He might be a Hall of Famer in the Mount West. I'll give him that. Probably. But he, there's a lot of those guys. Yeah. I mean... Sam Ellinger, for all we know, was a Hall of Famer in the Big 12. <laughs> Great job. So, he again, he didn't say what Derek Carr is an Hall of Famer in. He could have been a Hall of Famer in college football. I don't know. In the Mount West. In I the w- Mount West Hall of Fame, I wish there somebody, is a spot for Derek Carr. I wish somebody would have asked Mark Davis to clarify that answer real quick. Like, So exactly what do you believe he's doing a fantastic job in? Just for the record, so we can clarify what, what you believe he's doing. Because if it's on the field... Mm, I don't know. He's doing a good job making your coffee in the morning. He's doing a good job. What which, is he specifically doing a good job at? Which I'm actually a little surprised Mark Davis has, has had this type of patience because he kind of got a little bit spoiled with the aces. I mean, Becky Hammond came in in year one, won a championship. So I think, I, if anything, I would have expected him to have a little bit of a shorter leash on Josh McDaniels just coming off of that and now into the Raiders season. It amazes me with Mark Davis that... With shitty coaches, he has such a they have such like a, a long leash, mm-hmm. and like John Gruden didn't do anything in his four years here. He was the master of eight and eight. Yeah, constantly brought back. Uh, Jack Del Rio though goes twelve and four, and then the next year they go six. Done, you're out of here. Right. Um, which wasn't even his fault. He's you know his quarterback broke his leg, and then. Uh, you know, quarterback obviously wasn't healthy the second year, and then Amari Cooper had one foot out the door, so it was kind of not really all his fault. Um, despite the previous season having one of the best years the Raiders had had in, in a decade at least. And that was, um, I mean, that was a year that before the injury, Derek Carr was on an MVP pace. Yeah, and so he's gone after having one of their best years or best seasons. Uh, Gruden comes in, he's gets, he gets four years until uh, he sends some emails, and then he's out of here. Which was a ten-year deal and the highest paid, right? And uh, so he had such patience for John Gruden, um, and then Bisaccia comes in and has a. I still don't understand how he was not offered the job. He should have been out of respect for for Bisaccia. Everything that happened with that team that year, for him to get them to the playoffs, with with what happened with John Gruden, what happened with Henry Ruggs, what happened with Arnett. Yep. For them to get to the playoffs with all of those distractions off the field, I don't know how he didn't. Honestly, I still to this day do not know how he did not get offered that job. And he nearly went out and beat. um, He was Derek Carr throwing an accurate pass away from the Raiders going to the divisional and knocking out the team that made the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. If Derek Carr knew how to throw it to Darren Waller's hands instead of his helmet, would have we could be having a very different discussion right now. He does not get the job. They give it to Josh McDaniels, who previously his resume as a head coach was an eleven and eighteen stint with the Denver Broncos. 
But don't worry, he's got six Super Bowl wins. Which everyone hated, but he's like, oh, he's been with the Patriots. He knows Patriots culture now. There's a reason Bill Belichick owns his assistants. Bill Belichick's assistants have never panned out. There was one that did well, and then the Dolphins were racist and fired him. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I would, that, that, that's the best way to word it because that's exactly what happened. I mean, the Raiders should have hired that guy, uh, Brian Flores, before they thought about Josh McDaniels. Like, I, I mean, look, there, as I mentioned, there's a stat out there that much like Nick Saban, when he faces former assistants, takes them behind the woodshed and beats the crap out of them. Same thing goes with Bill Belichick when he faces a former assistant. There, there's only one great coach where his assistants have actually done well, and that's Greg Popovich. Yeah. His assistants, you hire one of his assistants, you might as well start. You're hiring them basically you, the next pop. You might as well start getting your championship banners ready. Yeah. Um, Steve Kerr, um, before the instant, obviously, Ime Adoka, uh, Becky Hammond. Yep. Um, uh, I'm missing a couple. There's two more in there. Um, but there, there is a long list. Or uh, Will, uh, he's with the Jazz right now. Will Hardy? I think so. Let me and the Jazz are... We're supposed to be taking this year, and they're sitting at ten and five right now, second in the Western Conference. Um, so there, there's a long list of uh, great coaches out of uh, yeah, Will Hardy, yeah, from uh, Greg Popovich, who continuously succeed. I think like seven of them are from that coaching tree. Seven of them are head coaches right now. So yeah, which is insane. If you're Raider Nation, be ready to tank because that's probably the direction they're going. It's the tank war, and real quick before we wrap up here. The defending champs, six and eight. I'd say, speaking of Steve Kerr. Speaking of Steve Kerr, yeah, just gave him some praise. Now we're going to shit on him a little bit here. Sitting at six and eight, um, you know, we'll make this quick. I don't think it'll last. I think it's just a, a slow start. It's an 82-game year. I think no one believes that the Warriors will be, um, by the, at the end of the year, they're not going to be a 40 and 40. They're not going to be two games below 500. They're not going to be 40 and 42. They'll, 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 uh, They'll get hot, I hear, at some point. Um, they may not be the first team in the Western Conference, but they'll finish top three in the standings again, and they'll be another team that will find themselves in the Western Conference Finals again and competing to go to the NBA Finals once more. So uh, a slow start and probably not the start they had imagined and hoped for. Um, but, again, we've seen this happen countless times in the NBA, uh, especially with contending teams. They're not like in the Lakers' boat. They're not sitting at 3-10. and 10. They're six and eight. I think they'll be okay. Um, once Clay Thompson kind of settles down a little bit and gets his rhythm going, they'll be fine. Their only real concern is James Wiseman, I think, who has been atrocious so far, and they're sending him down to the G League. So other than James Wiseman, I don't think they have much to worry about. And the Warriors are going into a fairly easier portion of their schedule over the next handful of games. They have uh, the Suns on the road Wednesday night. Friday night, they're home for the Knicks at the Rockets. And then at the Pelicans, back home for the Clippers, uh, home for the Jazz, at the Timberwolves, and they close out the month with at the Mavericks. That's that's a, actually a pretty decent slate. <laughs> yeah, They've got like three easy games in there. Other than that, I mean, if they can come out of that with a winning record, like they're fine. Yeah. I'm not too worried about Golden State. I think, you know, 6-8 and eight is not the end of the world for them. They'll, they'll Like I said before, they'll, they'll still be a contending team, I think. When we get to that point of the season. Yeah. I don't think there's much concern at all. Now, if we're in March or April, yeah, there's definitely a lot of concern if this is still the case, but still early on teams oftentimes find their sea legs early. Um, so like we said, 
I don't think there's too much to be concerned about, at least as of right now when it comes to the Warriors. And if you're sitting atop the standings right now, there's definitely nothing to be worried about uh, given a good start. But that'll do it for us here on a Tuesday episode of Back and Forth. I've been your host, Stat Matt, a.k. Matt After I joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, Joey G. We're back on Thursday with plenty more to get to. Uh, until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and we will talk to you guys again on Thursday. Thursday.